Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I speak today to Andrew McElwain. He's the CEO of Investigator Resources. They're an explorer and developer of silver assets in Australia. And if we talk to him about his plans to take their Paris project forward, if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. You can also find detailed company reports on their market commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities. There are training courses and there are summaries of other interviews that we've done. Plus there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. And if you go now, there's a seven day free trial. Andrew, how are you doing, sir? I'm fine, thanks, Matthew. Great to talk to you. Lovely, so where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Melbourne, uh, which is moving into the sunny uh, summer season and uh, sitting in the COVID capital of Australia. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. That's where my cousins are based, Melbourne, the, the culture capital of Australia, they tell me. Well, certainly the culture, the problem or the challenge for us this year is the uh, AFL Grand Final uh, for the first time in 112 years is not going to be played in Melbourne. <sighs> oh, boy. So what are they doing then? Are they playing it at all? Uh, they are. It's a shortened season, uh, down to, I think, 17 rounds, and they've had a, a shortened uh, games, and they're going to play it in uh, Brisbane. In- oh, my God. Oh, my, where I was born. Okay. Well, look, um, well, that, that's, that's obviously very, very important news, but not as important as what we're about to talk about, which is your uh, company. So, you know, we've not spoken before, and we've not heard the story before. So why don't you kick off, give us a one-minute overview for people new to it, and we can pick it up from there. Sure, look, no problem. Um, invest, I'm the Managing Director of Investigator. Investigator Resources is an ASX-listed uh, company, the ticker's IBR. Uh, we, our prime asset is the Paris Silver Project, which uh, sits in South Australia in a reasonably uh, accessible but remote area of South Australia. Uh, current resource and current Australian silver price, we have $1.5 billion worth of silver in the ground. Uh, we're also quite keen on uh, seeking a other assets to diversify our uh, risk. And we also have some ground in Tasmania as well. Brilliant. Okay. okay. Th- thanks for that. So um, it's a relatively new story in some ways, but also it's been around for a while in the sense that, you know, May- first maiden resource 2013, you updated 15, updated in 17 again. So is this a case of just taking advantage of the silver environment and trying to reignite the story? The, the history is that uh, the company was able to generally raise just enough money to do the next drill program, and as you say, uh, successive resources. Uh, we parked the project for a while while we focused on some other uh, copper gold opportunities with Oz Minerals. Uh, recent silver price allowed us to raise more money than we need to do this project, so we're uh, we're not we're not hamstrung uh, as they have been in the past. We're going to drive the. Uh, the project through its feasibility study, uh, make, a, make a decision whether we uh, mine it or not. Okay. So, so you mentioned, so what's the connection with Oz Minerals? Uh, so we uh, formed a, a, or a joint venture with them. We had a very, very exciting deep iron oxide copper gold target and Oz Minerals uh, came in to drill that at, uh, at their cost. We did the work for them. It was an earning arrangement, uh, but they've stepped away from that. Unfortunately, the holes didn't deliver what we were looking for. Right. Okay. Not not unusual. Okay. So let, let me try and work out what I'm buying into here because it's it's as you say you you kind of re- reigniting an, a, an old story in a in a way. Um, 
what type of company are you trying to be? Because you mentioned, you know, you, you, you've got this one asset. It's a single asset company. You've got something down, exploration work down in Tasmania, and you've been looking around for gold assets as well. So I, I'm trying to work out what you're trying to be. Sure. Look, uh, ultimately, we want to be uh, producing uh, precious metals in the domestic space. That's our objective. Uh, uh, I have two other two geologists on the board. I'm a mining engineer. Unfortunately, uh, we've still got uh, a couple of geologists in South Australia that have been through the evolution of the Carrot Silver Project. So, great team, great uh, historical understanding. Um, but as I said, we're looking to move forward into that development space. Um, and that's really my background. I've been in the business uh, uh, 35 years, and mine operations and uh, development is one of the things that gets me up in the morning. Right. So, so what, should we, what should we look at? Are you, are you a project generator? Or are you an explorer? I mean, how far do you take this down the line before you kind of try and monetize yeah, look, it? Yeah, probably uh, more an acquirer to, to development and produce. Um, we'd pretty much prefer to pick up a project that somebody's done some of those hard yards and that higher risk expenditure on. So part of the uh, M&A space that we're looking at is, is uh, advanced exploration pre-development projects. As we say, you, you raised a bit of money in um, sort of end of July, beginning of August. Um, you know, a fair chunk of change to kind of move this forward. Is that all going to be spent on the on the Paris project? Uh, look, not at all. We raised eight million dollars, Matthew, in August. Um, we also have another seven million dollars uh, potentially coming from options that will be exercised before the end of this year. Interestingly, our major shareholder, Marion Capital, uh, underwrote basically the placement, and they took uh, half of that eight million raising. Uh, today we announced that they exercised their uh, options, put another half million dollars in. So, uh, more than enough money to do the Paris job. That's uh, sort of a three to three and a half million dollars spend in 12 months. And so we've got plenty of cash to uh, lift ourselves into either the development of Paris or another project that's, uh, that's you know, hungry for money. Okay, so so let's, so let's kind of break this down. Okay, so you, you, let's focus on Paris first, and we'll kind of deal with the other the other components in a second. So you're talking about three or four million bucks to be spent on Paris. What's that going to allow you to do? I mean, obviously, you know, it's got a, you've got a, um, a resource number there, but then what? How do, how do you create this value in this high silver environment that we're in? Sure. So we we need to uh, improve the geological confidence. While there's a resource there, we need to move it into an indicated status that allows us to produce a reserve and, and be have a financeable project. Every time we've gone back and drilled this project, or my you know, previous uh, guys have drilled it, uh, been able to lift the grade by about 20% each time. And we are expecting we're going to do this as we improve that confidence. So we'll end up with a better better uh, metrics associated with that project in, in Paris. The feasibility study will also complete the MET testing and all the other infrastructure design, the process plant costing. So. We come out of this with a pre-feasibility study, fully costed, uh, economics determined, and assuming that we have a better than thirty-dollar gold uh, silver price in Australian terms, uh, this project works. Right. So, uh, looking through the material that you have produced, you talk about having the highest grade primary silver resource in Australia. That's, that's a great headline, but you know, you know, it's about the size of the ore body. So. What what do you know today, which leads, lends you to believe that this is something that's going to be economic and meaningful? Look, uh, I suppose stepping aside just from that Paris footprint, uh, we've got a three-kilometre trend uh, that hasn't been explored, uh, hasn't been drilled historically because there were some heritage clearance issues. Um, 
not problematic. It's just we hadn't gone and sought those clearances. We have over the last 18 months. Uh, we'll have a regional exploration program that we expect to see. Uh, you know, we always have our fingers crossed. We're the greatest optimists around, uh, and we'd like to see uh, additional resource that can bulk up the silver, the Paris project. Paris on its own is a seven to ten year project. Um, and I said, great economics at uh, better than a uh, you know thirty dollar Australian silver price. So how do you how do you take three or four million bucks and <clears throat> create create value? Like you, your shares have uh, come back. You've you've kind of reignited this story. The silver market's done a lot of the heavy lifting for you. What are you going to do with your three or four million bucks to actually actually take control of this and drive this drive this forward to the potential that you see? I mean, what, how should I be looking at this project? Uh, look, I suppose two parts to that answer, Matthew. Uh, with a Scottish background, I'll spend the money frugally. Um, uh, but the but the other aspect of that is that um, so we have enough money to uh, be able to lift this project into its next next stage of development. People draw lots of curves about the value creation, and when you go through that uninteresting part where you're doing all the studies, and no one wants to know about you. We won't have to raise money; we're able to just drive through that. Um, I said uh, it's not often you can say we've raised too much, but we, we did uh, also with almost consummate timing pick the the height of the silver price. Our shares did go to six cents. Uh, that was when we did that uh, for a nanosecond. We did that placement then. Uh, we're well above placement price uh, now. Lots of happy shareholders that are continuing to follow the story. Absolute pinpoint exposure to silver price, and that's why we do need to. Uh, we've been around long enough to know we have to have some diversification as well. Okay, so, so let's stick let's stick with Paris. So, what do we know today about what you've got, and what are you going to do to enhance that? Sure. So. Um, one of the other challenges uh, is always improving the metallurgical recovery. So we have some specific test work uh, focused on uh, one component of the resource that we know has a, a lower than average recovery, and we're going to see how we can tune that up. That's uh, money for jam. If we can get another 5% recovery out of that, then uh, you know it, it goes straight to the bottom line of the project. We expect that the uh, resource grade will also lift, as I said, it has every time we've drilled it before, and there's some logic why that happens because there's some high grade zones that haven't been spread wide and as we infill we'll be able to have those influence a greater part of the resource. Um, as I said we we also have regional opportunity um, there's there's seven targets that we're going to drill in parallel with the program that we run in in Paris and that'll give us the opportunity to bring to the table other mineralization in the district or within certainly of the order of sort of six or seven Right, and, and again, I'm trying. I'm trying to work out whether this is has got the scale to it. Uh, you know, again, what, what can you tell us about the ore body? Because I've, you know, I've been through the materials. Not a lot of materials. Not a lot of chat on the chat rooms about you guys. You're kind of slightly, you know, unknown in in that sense that you're not kind of sharing with the market everything that you know. So I'm trying to work it out. So what's the ore body look like? You know, is this going to be? Is it shallow, deep? I don't know. I don't, I don't know yeah, enough about the, it. Um, the, the absence of news in the last couple of years has almost been by, well, I shouldn't say once, has been by design. Um, Paris had uh, been worked hard. It had been worked hard in the investment community. Every March it raised money, uh, investigator remained, sorry, investigator raised money to move the next year's program forward. And there was uh, some investor fatigue. So when I first got involved, we said, we'll just park Paris until we have a very, very considered 
program, um, a costed program, and we'll be opportunistic about uh, when we start to light the fire and uh, and get Paris back on the back and uh, as you say in the chat rooms. Uh, it's not a min, uh, not a hundred million ton uh, resource, and as I said, it's uh, this is about quality. It is the highest grade and by far the highest grade uh, silver project in Australia, and it starts to look like some of the South American silver projects, which are you know great grades. Um, we aren't relying on byproduct credits to get this thing over the line. We've got some lead in it, um, but that's not the thing that drives the economics. I mean, do you think that's true? It's starting to look like some of the South American projects because obviously you know, some amazing grades there, amazing scale to those things. And people are going to be looking towards South America rather than Australia, which people think of as gold. Um, are you getting the attention that you think you deserve? Look, uh, probably not, because uh, Aussie investors are really spoiled for choice. Um, you don't have to go too far to find a great gold story. And, uh, you know, people understand gold. It's a lot easier than, uh, than silver, which generally comes with some complexity and other, other commodities. So, um, and, and look, there's a quite a cyclic um, uh, silver price. Um, you know, how long this run lasts for? Well, look, we don't know what's going to go on in world politics, world economics, and in the next two, two to five years, let alone the next two to five months. So, uh, you know, everyone talks about stronger for longer, and I think gold and silver are certainly going to do that. Um, silver retraced its, its historical and very high gold-silver ratio of 120 a while ago. We're back about 70 or 80 at the moment. It's, I think it's probably still got some way to go to come back closer to historic average 50 or 60. Wow. Okay. There's a number. Okay. Yeah, the other interesting thing, Matthew, in South America, you talk about it is, uh, you know, head grades there were used to be 450. Over the last uh, 10 years, those head grades have now come back to the likes of 250, which is starting to get into the space where Paris is. True. True. Um, <laughs> Can I, can I just talk about how, you, how you're thinking of Paris? You, you, you've, you've given us your view of silver there and you, you appreciate that gold's the sort of, you know, the golden, literally the golden child at the moment. And you are looking for gold projects, you, you've alluded uh, uh, to me. So is this just a stepping stone? Is Paris just a stepping stone to where you actually want to be playing, which is in the gold space? Look, I think if we want to build a, a larger company in Australia, there are limited other silver opportunities. Um, three or four key projects in Australia as we're, where, as, we, as you well know, we're spoiled for choice in the gold space. Look, um, I, I, one of the things I love about operating gold mines, and I've spent 20, 25 years operating uh, gold mines, is that uh, nothing like seeing an investor's face when you pour a gold bar in front of them and you put it in their hands and they realise it's heavier than they thought. And, you, know, you can sell them as many shares as you want then. But, um, but look, gold, gold has that allure and, uh, and as I said, it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, immediate response pro project where you don't have to worry about concentrate sales, contracts and all the rest. You put it in the truck and it's gone to the mint and uh, it's, uh, it's a quick return. So look, I love the gold space. Um, I spoke with a cadre gold operators around. Um, so that's where we'd like to be. Um, but as I said, in the current environment, it's pretty tough to find a high, high margin, uh, cheap gold mine. But, uh, We'll, we'll find one. We'll let one out of a, a bigger organisation that may not know it. See, now we're, now we're getting into energy. See, that, that makes sense to me because with your track record of looking for gold, you're obviously very excited about the prospect of, of finding a cheap or a relative, relatively inexpensive <laughs> gold asset. So, and from what you've said about the silver market being slightly erratic, um, 
So would it be fair to say that you've got this project, Paris is a, is a reasonable gold, a silver project, but it's in Australia, much misunderstood by the retail in Australia and possibly sure. even the institutional. But if you can monetize it somehow and at some point, you would use that money to develop either the polymetallic stuff in Tasmania or yeah, I, I identify and acquire or at least option a, a gold project. Is that what you'd rather be doing? Yeah, sure. Look, we're, we're obviously some way away from having revenue stream that allows us to fund another acquisition out <coughs> of projects. So um, what we'd be looking at is a script or a, a merger deal somewhere uh, to bring another asset in. Um, I, I sort of probably, I won't say flippantly, but I, I see Paris, it's, it's a project I can see uh, the end of it this, from where I am at the moment. It's got, the, got all the hallmarks of an economic project. We've got the plan and the team in place. So it's almost a bit like, you know, you add water and the thing grows. Well, you know, we've got the money to move it to the next stage. Um, I've got a pretty good idea of how we'll finance it and what it'll take to do that. And that project is starting to move forward to, you know, construction and, and contributing my mind. What's next? Because, uh, as I said, it's, uh, it's great to be able to build other projects and uh, it's it, it, Paris will be a relatively straightforward operation for us. Not, not a distraction. Oh, look, it's, you know, there'll be bumps in the road and always some things that will challenge you, but that's one of its attributes. It's in an area in Australia that's uh, 90 minutes away from the highway that runs from the east to the west coast. Um, it's, it's a bit of a dirt road at the end of that near the project, but um, there's really no other challenges to development. There's, uh, there's very little uh, flora and fauna of significance in the area very poor pastoral country. Um, we have great relationship, uh, not only with pastoral owners, but also importantly, the traditional owners in the district and it's relatively impoverished. So bringing uh, some work to the uh, to the district will be well received. So we don't see the same uh, permitting and development challenges that some of the other projects that might be closer to the Eastern seaboard uh, will see. Okay, so where are you with the PFS then at the, at the moment? You think you've got enough money to kind of get that completed? Yeah, look, the PFS, PFS covers a, a range of aspects, right, both technical and social. Um, so, so we we think about three million dollars will see us uh, complete that in the next eight months, um, and uh, and then that that isn't a decision point from a financing perspective for us. It's just we can slide right into completing the BFS after that, and if we need to, because we have enough cash, so. Um, PFS is the technical aspects of mine uh, resource, mine schedule and planning, uh, metallurgical recovery are things that we'll nail. Um, a lot of the environmental um, uh, benchmark work we've already done over the last 12 or 18 months. We've continued doing all, uh, monitoring of water bores and things like that, which provide a baseline for any environmental study. So um, it won't take us a long time to get that completed. Okay, so three million bucks gets your PFS completed, and then it's on, yep. the, on to the next stage. Are you are you kind of trying to accelerate this? Because again, I'm, I'm as a sort of investor looking into the silver market, and say I, I do think it has been erratic in the past, as, as history shows that. Is do you feel that you've got to try and accelerate the process to take advantage of this positive environment that we're in right now? In terms of, can you shortcut the feasibility uh, phase, for instance? Look, we've, uh, we've got it squeezed up probably as, as much as we can. The rate determining step in that is, in fact, ironically, drying out the samples from the drilling, um, and that's weather dependent. So samples come out, there's a small water table associated, uh, or you know, uh, probably overstates it, but the ore body is damp. 
Uh, we bring that sample out before we can actually split it and send it off to assay. We have to dry it. So last week it rained. We haven't been able to dry. So that's that's just fate is going to give us that date. We actually can't stay at the mine planning work until we've got all that uh, assay information back and the resource recalculated. So there's a there's a point at which we can't accelerate. After that, um, look, you know. I won't say just as much money as we need to throw at it, but it's a relatively straightforward 12-month build process. And then from when we decide to start construction, it's a simple open pit. It's within 120 metres of the surface. There's very little pre-stripping. So you know, there's lots of ticks in the box for this thing. Okay, but what I'm trying to understand is where the, the mindset of the management team is. Is there a deliberate and conscious decision that you've made, say, we need to accelerate this. We need to speed this process up. Oh, look, I'm sorry, you're probably asking me a question that just goes past me because it goes without saying that, you know, we're doing this and we, uh, you know, we've doubled the number of geos on site in the last week. Um, we, as I said, one of the very fortunate times I've not been really cash constrained. As I said, I don't throw it away, but, you know, we are able to bulk up because we've got the, uh, the financial capacity to push forward. Um, as I said, we, within uh, the next four weeks, we'll have three drill rigs on site. So we'll be drilling both regional and, and, uh, and both two other rigs on the Paris. So uh, rather than ecking that out over a period of time, we've got to get this resource done as quickly as we can because that's the predetermining step for the next stage. So, so with the, are you nervous at all about this sort of environmental component? You talk about water tables there. Um, you know, that usually makes people a little bit nervous uh, in terms of getting permits, the necessary permits and licenses sure. signed off. So what leads you to believe that you won't have any problems with that? Uh, look, I suppose a couple of things. We've done a little bit of uh, some pre-work. Um, it's, it's not in a... Uh, sensitive area it's outside of the artesian basin and all those you know some other places that might be more challenging uh there's no no pastoral uh areas that that are reliant on uh, water uh, water for their stock and so on so i'm not saying that uh it's something we don't consider but um look it's it's relatively straightforward there's some other projects further west that uh we understand what happens with the water table there um, and as I said, there's been some homework done already, so. Okay. How do you go about identifying, you know, what the potential red flags are for you and, you know, and mitigating those? I mean, so, you know, you must you must have to put out a few fires every day. So what are those? Yeah, so look, um, in fact, we've engaged a guy who's just completed a pre-feasibility study for another project, not a, not a base, not a metals project in South Australia. I don't want to give that away who or what he was doing, but um, he's just completed a PFS. We have a workshop with him next Wednesday. We're going to step through, okay, what are the pitfalls? Who did you use? How do we uh, how do we put the best team together? Make sure that we don't have to relearn any lessons here. So. Okay. So you guys, I mean, I know you've got a bit of money uh, re recently in August, but I mean, how, how do you guys remunerate yourselves? I mean, how do you, are you, you know, taking shares, options, you pay yourselves. I mean, what's it, what's it like down yep. at the expiration stage? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you that uh, my take-home salary is the lowest I've had in 12 years here. So, uh, you know, I'm reliant on, uh, I've got uh, quite a uh, structured option package and performance rights that are, if you've got some time, I've got a matrix of nine different things of time and delivery and all the rest, but it's well, all about shareholder value okay so there's three steps in share price for my options uh, to, to come on board uh, delivery of you know project and so on are all the logical kpis that uh, that push me um 
look, I've been around for a long time. I, in fact, I still chair a small explorer and uh, I keep telling that guy about how much he gets paid and I don't. So, look, uh, you know, from, in comparison to my peers, uh, my remuneration, I'm 60 years old and, uh, you know, if I'm going to end up with enough forever, it's about the options coming into the money. So it's not about working for a wage by any means. So, okay, okay. I would be interested in, in, in how you work those things out, but maybe offline because I'm fascinated about how different companies approach that. You know, so some sure. people are there for lifestyle, sucking money out of the company, and others are a bit more frugal, to use your word. Um, yeah, okay. Well, no, not money rates. But uh, look, that said, Matthew, it's all in our uh, annual report, but uh, I'll, I'll flick you over the detail. Thank you, and I appreciate that. Um, okay, should we, should we um, bounce out of Australia into Tasmania? Because you've got a sure. very early stage exploration uh, target there. Um, can you tell us what you're up to and you know, how much money you're going to be spending on that time, money and effort? Look, if I cast, uh, go back uh, probably six or eight, eight years ago, I was running a small gold, uh, gold mining company uh, called Unity Mining. Um, Unity operated the Hinty Mine in Tasmania. Um, it was the highest, highest grade gold operation in Tasmania for many years, uh, produced one and a half million ounces. And look, and I suppose I started circling the wagons. I wanted to get back there at some stage. I actually, when I was the managing director of the community, we sold that uh, private contract. And, uh, and great exploration ground, um, the only gold processing facility in that district. And uh, I saw that as a, an opportunity for us. So uh, we started sort of, I said, circling the wagons. I looked, I pitched to try and get back in to explore the ground around that mine. Uh, the mine is up for sale at the moment, um, so I believe that, that uh, and, and we're, we're interested in that process. Um, we've also just picked up, as you said, some uh, tenements which abut that, uh, that ground with Henty. But also interestingly to the north has got the historic uh, Rosebury lead zinc operation, which has run for 100 years, and, uh, and I think there's some opportunities there. What drew us there was... Um, Probably not a real mining engineering approach, but uh, what we did was we engaged uh, some geologists that undertake data review, uh, big computing technology. They take every piece of data known to man. We said, look, focus in on the west coast of Tasmania and tell me what you think people haven't found. Go and find me another Rosebury or another, another Henty and um, come up with a number of really interesting targets. One of them on ground that was vacant. We've we acquired that ground under an exploration license, but also gave us an insight to some of the other things in the district and and look that would end up having to be some uh, acquisition where we pick up uh, maybe one of the existing or one of the other other old mines in the district so been no systematic and sophisticated exploration to really uh, in the west coast of Tasmania for, for decades okay so, so I mean it's early days but so coming back so how much money are you going to be spending there uh, you know, over what period and what, what's your expectation of what you want to be able to do there? Yeah, sure. So, look, we, uh, in making application for those exploration licences, you have to propose a budget. Um, so, we've, uh, we've budgeted about $1.5 million over the next three years. Um, that's our minimum commitment. So, it's not a lot of money. Um, Tasmania is a fairly challenging exploration environment. And uh, look, having worked there, people used to say there are. It's pretty simple. There are two uh, two seasons in Tasmania: February and winter. And uh, you don't get a large window. It's not like being in the Arctic, I suppose, but pretty challenging environment. It's quite uh, quite undulating, and some in some places you might need to lift a drill rig in with a helicopter, and you can't do that in 100 kilometre hour winds. But, um, 
So as I said, it's baby steps there for us, but it's also about positioning ourselves in quite a quite a well minimally endowed district, which has got a number of operating mines. But I mean, how big are those mines? I mean, you know, what, what do you what do you liken yourself to there? Oh, look, as I said, uh, you know, the the Rosebury mine has been one of the more more prominent, uh, I suppose, Southern Hemisphere zinc producers over over decades. Um, Adjacent to that is uh, is the Renison tin mine, and as I said, next door to it is the Henty gold mine. All all major you know producers in their in their history, but uh, look, it's been a little bit tired and sad. Um, people haven't spent much money on on regional exploration. They've tried to sustain the mine life, and probably you know, more historically uh, is the Mount Lyell copper mine, at, uh, which is further south, and and it's uh, been one of the significant copper producers in the world. Not like some of the uh, Southern American, uh, but certainly uh, yeah, other uh, other mainland uh, copper-producing mines. You didn't get as excited talking about that as you did when you talked about gold. So, what else are you trying to? What else are you looking at? Oh, look, I'm a gold bug, and I've got a little nugget here sitting on my, which just reminds me what it's about. But uh, um, look, we have focused domestically, and uh, so we've been uh, hunting a number of projects. And, and look, interesting, we've been quite active in bidding on some things. I prefer not to be in a competitive bid environment. I prefer to negotiate a deal um, because at the end of the day, I'd like to see the other party uh, you know, get as much out of it as we possibly can as well. And uh, uh, So we've been the losing bidder on a couple of cracker opportunities, but um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that we've still got our cash or our, uh, our equity firepower um, and the others I think probably paid too much. So uh, we're okay, um, we'll find something. And, and uh, Marion Global Investments, I mean, they've just upped their stake to someone around 15, 16%. Is that right? Or is it a bit more? That's right. That? So um, Marion, Marion had been involved um, before I got involved in the company, but hadn't taken or uh, uh, participated in the last couple of placements. So had diluted down to under 10%. Uh, they stepped back in, uh, in force in this last placement. They took half of that placement, took them up to about 15 or 16%. And in fact, uh, just in the last day, exercised uh, options have taken them closer to 17%. So in the last uh, three months, they put four and a half million dollars into the company. They, I said, they love the silver exposure. The, in fact, the, uh, the the fund that is out of the Merion Group is the Merion Gold and Silver Fund. Uh, so you know, they're not interested in base metal opportunities necessarily, but certainly in the precious metal space. And so why did why did they do that? Why have they kind of doubled down on, on this, having missed out the last couple of rounds? Is it because the silver environment's good, or is it a case of they think, crack, if we don't, we're going to lose our money? I mean, what, what was the what was the driver behind the decision for them getting involved? Oh, uh, look, I won't I won't uh, repeat what their their uh, predict, uh, prediction for the silver price is, but uh, they they describe the activity in the future as getting fairly violent around our share price. They think silver is going to go hard. Um, as I said, they, they took the foot off the gas a little bit because we did as well with the Paris project. As I said earlier, we, we sort of, uh, sort of recognised the investor fatigue. So they sat out for a little while. When we lit the fire again under the Paris story, they were more than happy to jump back in because they love that and uh, been very, very supportive. Uh, but as I said, uh, they, they, uh, talk and, and sort of an embarrassing number. Of, uh, I'm happy to talk about $30 Australian uh, silver. Okay. Uh, so embarrassingly good, rather than embarrassingly. Good. I was about to ask. So they, yeah. So they, as I said, they see this pinpoint silver opportunity, um, and, and and similarly to the question you asked uh, earlier, is that why or what the relative value between us and our peers in Australia, and 
said part of that is about uh, even in fact this interview about rebuilding people's understanding of what we're about um, where Paris is going to be in the next 6, 12 and 18 months and further and, uh, and, and what's, uh, what's Investor going to do elsewhere. Okay. Do you think you've got the scale or potential scale to be interesting to institutional at the moment? You've kind of got a, a lot of retail. Uh, obviously, Marion are in there, but you know, who else on the institutional side is paying attention to you? Yeah, look, I suppose um, so we've, we've changed, uh, changed brokers uh, as well in this last placement to reach out. Um, look, I said I don't want to name others that were interested. We actually kept a, a couple of institutions out because we were, and many people are saying that the demand was so high, but we went out to raise three to five million. We got offered over 20 and we took eight. Um, and obviously people's expectations, if we had tried to do, you know, divvy that up, there was very little. So there were a couple of institutions who said, look, if you can't give us enough, we'll be there next time, we'll come around later. Um, but uh, as I said, for us, uh, we're a 50 or $60 million market cap, cap company. Uh, as you say, we need to have a bit more, uh, bit more uh, uh, weight behind us or a bit more, uh, sorry, a bit, a bit higher valuation to be able to capture that, uh, that institutional uh, attention. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a slow, hard process, which I know only too well as a managing director to rebuild people's confidence and uh, convince them that, you know, we're going to uh, use their money wisely. But as I said, I'm sure we'll get there. Okay. Um, and obviously that's been a sort of recent occurrence, only in the last few months that, you know, people are, again, silver prices up, that people are paying attention to silver. Um, how are you going to have to behave differently? Because, you know, you, you've been, you haven't been around for very long in this particular story, okay? But the story's been around for a while. How do you get the market to pay attention uh, once again, I mean, what are the what are the sorts of things that you are doing? Because roadshows are kind of dead now; it's all online. Are you relying yeah, on your they broker? Are. And in fact, um, interestingly, I uh, participated in the gold conference here virtually uh, six weeks ago, and uh, there were nine hundred people online. Um, if I'd gone to the auditorium, there would have been fifty three of them. Uh, you know, three of them awake, awake; the rest of them on their phones. Um, so. You know, the capacity to, to um, be able to project your story now um, because people want to well, have the opportunity to attend a virtual conference um, is different. But, look, I, I suppose I've been around a little while. Uh, you know, people know me. They understand that uh, and I think I've a reasonable sort of credibility. Uh, I've got a few scars and people know why they where I got them from and why, but uh, we've moved on. We're happy to move on and... Uh, as I said, I've never had uh, trouble getting an audience with people when I talk to them about a development story. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much for telling us your story today. It's new to us and we've not spoken before. Uh, I'm intrigued to see how you go about delivering. Now you've got the capital to be able to kind of do things. Um, stay in touch and let us know how you get on, please. Look, well, sure, Matthew, and everybody wants to know what's the news flow. Well, from probably next week until the next early next year, we're going to have response coming out of this following up by what's this thing going to look like and how's, how's, how big is it and what's it worth uh, when we complete the feasibility. So, um, you know, we're going to have a bit of rage in the news market over the next six or eight months. So, you know, stay tuned. That's a great phrase, a bit of rage. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and, of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.